some people work on developing a positive mental attitude simply because they know their life will be more successful and more satisfying as a result. And you can get business books that do a lot of this training. You can get self-help material that will build on this principle. But what I want you to realize here, what we're talking about today is built on the foundation of God's Word, which is the strongest, most secure basis to really have a positive outlook on life. So it's not just modern thinking or a business approach or a way of improving your life with some self-help philosophy. This is God's Word. Because when I say having a positive attitude, it's just another way of saying living by faith, trusting in God, living with the positive expectation of God's promises, of God's goodness, of God's will being done in your life. Trusting that God will be true to His Word, like we've just read, that everything's going to work out for good if we love Him, if we maintain the calling that He's got for us. So that's pretty good. Now, of course, we don't always feel on top of the world. Anyone? Anyone? You know, some people just leap out of bed and they're just super positive people. Or maybe they're like kale and they go running every morning. It's the endorphins going. And physically, it's true. If you exercise, you will feel better. Uh, but maybe you don't feel like exercising. And that's the last thing you want to do. And the thought of exercising makes you even feel worse. And you just had a bad night. And, uh, yeah. um, Ruth went into a shop the other day with my mum up at Port Macquarie. And uh, they came back with tales of how this guy was just so grumpy and rude. And and, uh, and I went into the same shop yesterday with the boys. Because they were, the little boys were telling me, oh, Dad, you know, this guy was psycho. You know, he's so rude. <laughs> Leroy was fascinated. And... And, and he, he just, like, looked at a chair and just moved on. He said, excuse me, can you help me put that back, please? You know, and he was going on and all these weird things. The boys were like, you've got to see it. So they dragged me. I said, all right, we're going into the shop. So we go in. The guy was fine. He was cool. I just figured he had, had a really bad night's sleep the day before. He had, had a, you know, he was in a bad mood. Um, but we got a really cool bell. Did you hear the bell? We got a little, we got an antique bell. So, although we love fellowship in the courtyard, sometimes the musos are here, they're starting to service, everyone's just having coffee, chatting, chatting. They're like, welcome, no one. You know, they, so, when you hear the bell, it's the little church is starting kind of thing. Um, and who knows, maybe we'll end up with big church bell. Ding, a ding, and be like, Notre Dame. We'll tell the whole of the Nitnarara and the Central Coast churches, like, we'll wake them up, the council will be cranky, it'll be awesome. But anyway, um, uh, you probably have to get a DA. Anyway. Yeah. DA. Anyway. Um, so, uh, sometimes, yeah, so, sometimes you don't always feel awesome um, because life can throw challenges at you and it'll try to drag you down emotionally and, uh, and things can easily take your attention away from God's goodness and promises and, and, uh, and you can just end up feeling negative, focusing on the negatives rather than the positives. So the challenge is, how can I maintain a faith-filled attitude? And Janelle, as I said, already was talking about this uh, and the promises that the Lord Jesus gave us. Um, how can we have a, a faith-filled, positive attitude that remembers and, and runs off the promises of God rather than the problems of life? 
Well, I think we can learn from someone who did face their share of negativity and yet stayed on top with a positive attitude. His name was David. Because his paradigm, his outlook, the way he approached life is found in the Psalms. We've got a whole bunch of them, and you could look at many of them that are supporting this argument of having a positive outlook, but I want to read just one. I'm going to read the whole of Psalm 27. And you'll be pleased, I'm not reading this whole, whole of Psalm 118. The whole of Psalm 27. Um, this one, it says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. So why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger. So why should I tremble? When evil people, don't you love that? Not if, when evil people come to devour me, when my enemies and foes attack me, they will stumble and fall. Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I am attacked, I will remain confident. The one thing I ask of the Lord, the thing I seek most, is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, delighting in the Lord's perfections, meditating in His temple. But He will conceal me there when troubles come. He will hide me in His sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. Then I will hold my head high above my enemies who surround me. At His sanctuary, I will offer sacrifices with shouts of joy, singing and praising the Lord with music. That's why we do church the way we do. Hear me as I pray, O Lord. Be merciful and answer me. My heart has heard you say, Come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I am coming. Do not turn your back on me. Do not reject your servant in anger. You have always been my helper. Don't leave me now. Don't abandon me, O God of my salvation. Even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. Teach me how to live, O Lord. Lead me along the right path, for my enemies are waiting for me. Do not let me fall into their hands, for they will accuse me of things I've never done. With every breath they threaten me with violence. Yet I am confident. I will see the goodness of the Lord while I am here in the land of the living. Wait patiently for the Lord. Be brave and courageous. Yes, wait patiently for the Lord. How awesome is that? It really speaks for itself, doesn't it? Notice that he's got problems. He's got issues. He's got challenges. He's got people against him. But notice also the positive outlook that he maintains. He says, the Lord's my light my salvation, so why should I be afraid? Verse 3, though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I'll remain confident. Verse 10, even if my mother and father abandon me, the Lord will hold me close. A little more on that in a moment about his family and people close to him letting him down. And verse 13, listen to this again. I, I am confident. Everyone say, I am confident. I'll see the goodness of the Lord while I'm still here in the land of the living. So it's not, what about you to say? It's not just pie in the sky when you die. It's steak on your plate and with your, while you're awake. You know, it's, uh, um, it's it, you know, real living now with the Lord uh it's worth lifting your heart about and being aware this is good stuff. This is okay. It's going to work out. See, David here is an incurable optimist. And because he, he's, he's pressing, well, he's pressing into God. That's where it's all at. He's, you know, there's one thing you remember today to be, if my relationship with God is strong, things are going to work out. 
Because he says that one thing I ask, one thing is to be in God's house and to be in God's temple, to be with God. And that's why church is so cool and important for us. We have our personal relationship with God, but collectively we encourage others when we're together worshipping God, the community of faith that helps us walk in faith with God. And, uh, and notice he's not just writing a poem. He's not just theorizing. He's reflecting on how his life really is. And, and the attitude that he maintains, it's, it's a godly attitude that we want to aim for as well. And so I want you to look at three things that David did specifically that we can learn from and hopefully adapt and adopt in our life. The first thing is David never let other people ruin this positive outlook that he had on his life. And he had plenty of opportunity to do that because he had people against him all throughout his life. And you can read, there's a number of different books, you know, First, Second Samuel, First Chronicles, the Psalms, of course. They give us quite a detailed history of David's life and the interactions that he had with different people. Now, David became king, so like any person in a position of leadership, he then had his critics. He had full-on enemies. And if you are in any role of leadership, you'll know it's just part of the equation, that the buck stops with you, people want some of the blame, you're going to cop a bit of flack if you're in a leadership role. But even long before he was anybody, David had some issues with people. I mean, his own father didn't think that highly of him because when Samuel was sent to the house of Jesse, David's dad, to choose the next king of Israel, David didn't even make the lineup. He said, let me see all your sons, and he brought them all out. And God spoke to Samuel and said, he's not here. And he said to Jesse, where's the other one? Is there anyone else? Are these all your sons? And Jesse, David's dad, goes, well, if you insist, I mean, yeah, there is David. Yeah, well, he's going to be the next king. Duh, dad, talk about, you know, forgiving your dad for not believing in you. You think you've got dad issues. You know, blokes, come on, all blokes. They say that every man's problem relates to their relationship with their dad. Because our oh, dad never believed in me, and dad was an authoritarian, and he never said, I love you, and I had to wait till he was on his deathbed that he said, I love you, and uh, you know, we all carry this insecurity. Luke, is that true? Luke, I love you. There, done. Okay? Fine. Get over it. Come and be successful. No excuses. All right? Fine. Hey. Come on, say anything about authoritarian? Nothing wrong with it. You want to smack? Right. Hands on the bed, you get two. Come on. Right. Sorry. Just do the time walk going back there. I dare not take Luke on. There he is. Grand final, the rugby yesterday, smashing into people legally. Well, actually, he did get sinking, but uh, I was just over-enthusiastic uh, racking. But, um, but I dare not take him on. Um, and so, Luke, with respect, it's all good. Uh, why am I saying this, David? Oh, David's dealing with his dad issues. His dad doesn't even line him up. Um, and then his brothers weren't any better. Because when they were in the army, David gets sent to bring them food. Do they say thank you? No. Do they have a go at him? Yes. But just being inquisitive. Just wants to know about what's going on in the battle. And they just have a go at him. And so he's, he's got people not really looking after him all the time. Uh, and then he's got, uh, he's got King Saul trying to kill him. You know, for years, for years and years, over a number of different times, they say something like 21 times over nine years, Saul tried to have David killed. That's not very supportive. Where's Janelle? Quick, David needs counselling. You know, that's, what, what, and what's your issue? 
Well, the king, or imagine, well, Malcolm Turnbull uh, is trying to kill me. ACO is on my trail. I don't know what I've done, but he's jealous. I thought he was a pretty comfortable, confident leader, but obviously he's, you know, feeling threatened and he's wanting to kill me. I mean, that's enough for anyone to go around the twist. And, and so he, he honestly, and then when he found, and then when he became king, you think everyone, all his family would go, wow, awesome, you've arrived. Well, not everyone. How about his wife? When he goes crazy in worship to God, and he's wearing only a, a, a linen undergarment, and he's dancing before the Lord, it says that his wife, Mikhail, uh, despised him in her heart. He's embarrassed. Wives, never be embarrassed if your husband's full on for God, and vice versa. So have a dance, or do what you want to do to worship God, and being glad that they're following the Lord. I mean, what an idiot. She paid the price for that. Um, and then his own son, Absalom, tried to usurp the throne. And, and so, you know, you can look right through his life. Many people having a go. And yet, David didn't let these people get him down. He didn't allow them to stop his worship of God, nor his positive expectation of life. And again, many, many Psalms I could quote. Let me just read one verse from Psalm 71. He's talking to God. He says, God, there's many people that want to harm me but I will keep on hoping for your help. I will praise you more and more. Pressing into God and not letting those people get him down. Of course, uh, there's that famous example in 1 Samuel chapter 30 uh, where he and his men come back to camp to find that the Amalekites, the enemy, have run off with all their wives and kids and, and taken them and uh, taken them captive. And, uh, and while they're all feeling bad, uh, David gets the blame. And it says that his own men started talking about stoning him to death. And, uh, and, and then it's uh, interesting because it says, David was greatly distressed. Fair enough. But notice what it says in the very next part of that verse. But he encouraged himself or he strengthened himself in the Lord. And so again, relationship with God got him through, even when his own men are turning against him and wanting to kill him. So he had feelings of stress. He didn't deny them, but he did something about them. Right? And there's always going to be people who try to pull you down and that they, they may criticize you and, and it affects, it makes you feel bad about yourself, or they may be criticizing others and wanting you to join them and make you feel bad about someone else. Gossiping and, and criticizing, having a go at someone. So you're going to watch out how people are influencing you. Now, in San Diego at the zoo, they did an amazing experiment, which I read about. They got five monkeys, and this demonstrates the power of influence. Admittedly, monkeys, but not an evolutionist, but let's face it, there are some similarities. You just got to go to the zoo and watch them and think, there's my children. Look at them. Come on, you bunch of monkeys, look at you. Have you. Come on, you've seen the chimpanzees playing around at the school. Have you got more than three kids you, at, at the zoo? Zoo, school, same thing. Teachers, yeah, come on. And uh, you think, you've you got more than three kids and you go to the zoo and watch the chimpanzees, you think, and if you're a teacher, there's 30 chimpanzees, you'll say, that, that, was, that was third class last year, nearly killed me, you know? And anyway, you know what I'm saying. So, they got five monkeys, they put them in a room, and they put a staircase in the center and hung some bananas above the staircase. 
But whenever one of the monkeys would try to climb the stairs to reach the bananas, the scientists would use a hose to spray the other four monkeys with icy cold water. And obviously, much to their irritation. So very quickly, a dynamic developed where any time one monkey attempted to climb the stairs, the other four realized what was about to happen. So it would drag that monkey back and hold it back to stop it getting the bananas and therefore stop them getting a drenching. They learned that climbing the ladder was somehow against the rules, even when the scientists put away the hose. The monkeys stopped each other going for the bananas. Then they started, the scientists, started replacing the monkeys one by one. Naturally, the new entrant would come in. He'd see the bananas. He'd start to climb the stairs to go for them. But the remaining four monkeys would jump on him, beat him up, and stop him uh, from, from going for the bananas. The clear message was that the bananas are out of bounds, even though the new entrant had no idea why. And then get this, one by one, they replaced all the original monkeys until now the initial group was not in the room, and yet as each new monkey entered the room, it would quickly learn that there's some inexplicable reason they aren't allowed to touch the bananas. So now each of the, banana, each of the monkeys would beat up whoever tried to get the bananas, even though none of them had any experience or knowledge of the cold water treatment. It had just set in as a tradition, they just knew climbing the stairs, trying to get the bananas, it's just off limits. That's just not the way we do things around here. Isn't that interesting? And that's sadly how sometimes things go on in human groupings and interaction. That's tradition. That's just not the way we do it. Why? Don't ask. I don't know. That's just why we do it. And you want to be careful because that influence that others can have on you can really drag you down. They can stop you getting your bananas. You can have thoughts and pat patterns and attitudes and, and all kinds of you know, expectations of behaviours that are influencing you because of traditions that people don't really understand. So why shouldn't you, if you're a businessman, be able to make millions of dollars? You know, why can't I expect to be healed? Why are those people hosing water on my dreams? You know, there's influences that we want to be aware of and say, hang on. I don't want that kind of influence. But you are going to get influenced by people. So you just got to watch who is influencing you. And again, I, that's, I'm an advocate of, of church, a community of faith and hope and love. And hopefully, generally, we're not perfect, but generally people around here are going to love you, encourage you, build you up and you know, give you some good godly influences rather than drag you down. And so, uh, and of course, that experiment when I read about it, it made me think, look, what about the influence that I've got on other people? I hope I'm not one of those monkeys pulling people down, reaching out for what their dreams are. And you can think about that yourself. So go for your bananas. David did, or at least he would have if he'd known what bananas were. I don't think he had them at that time of history. But uh, don't let people stop you. Um, that's a good history thing. Who knows about the history of bananas? Is that bananas in Israel? Too tropical, aren't they? All right, come next week and you'll find out the answer. I'm guessing they were too dry. Um, okay, so David didn't let people stop his positive outlook on life. Secondly, he didn't let situations or circumstances stop his outlook that was positive. Because along with people that are antagonistic or difficult will come situations that are difficult. Things don't always go your way. 
I didn't always go David's way. He learned that the problems were just part of life. They were opportunities in disguise, as they say. Uh, and he knew that God was with him, that God would work things out, that God would help him get through every problem. And again, you can see this early on in his life because, you know, the whole army of Israel was standing up against Goliath and the Philistines. And they're all afraid. And David rocks up and uh, asks what's going on. And he says, well, I'll take down that giant, Goliath. And the king, Saul, looks at this young kid and says, don't be ridiculous. Uh, this situation's too big for you. And right there, David could have said, oh, okay, sorry, I have no idea. Off I go. And, but, but he had a better outlook. He thought, no, I can do this. And in fact, he had already had some experience with this positive attitude playing out. Because, you know, his reply to the king was, he said, I can take that Goliath, that, that giant, nine and a half foot tall, terrorized looking dude, I can take him. He says, because when I've looked after my father's sheep, a lion or a bear have come at different times, and I've killed them. Well, I've read that a million times, but stop and think. Have you, I mean, again, you can go to the zoo, or worse still, go to the deepest parts of a Russian forest or an African savannah and go and find one in the wild. I don't know about you, but if I've got my dad's sheep and a lion, I'm thinking, have lunch. I'm out of here. I'm going to see Janelle. I want counseling about a lion attacking me. You know, but David, David, he's tough. He just says, bring it on. I want a new rug. You know, he's like, come on, bear. Come on, you think about that. A lion or a bear and, and dead sheep. So he was tough, but he had this example that he's pretty optimistic. And, uh, and so that, of course, builds. You know, you have a good experience. You overcome the situation. Your faith grows. You bring it into the next situation. So when he sees the light, he thinks, ugly looking dude, looks like a bear. Yeah, all right, we can take it. And, uh, and a grizzly bear's about nine and a half foot tall. I don't know if you've seen grizzlies in that part of the world, probably not. But, you know, uh, he probably thought, yeah, yeah, we can do this. And, uh, and then, of course, don't you love it? When he goes out, uh, the king gives him permission. He goes and stands in front of Goliath. Goliath says, what is this? Have you even got a weapon? He got this slingshot, you little loser-looking runt, and yeah, he's having a go at him. And don't you love it? David, again, isn't overwhelmed by the circumstances. He just stands up on the inside, stands up on the outside, and he prophesies. And he proclaims to Goliath, he says, you come at me with your natural sword and shield, but I come at you in the name of the Lord. And today, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to cut your head off, and all the world will know that God is king of Israel. And he went and did exactly what he just prophesied. I think, well, that's a positive outlook, in spite of circumstances. Because you can imagine, all the... You know, I don't like it, but you watch the footy on TV and always stop at half time and say, yeah, well, don't forget, you know, it's four to one on the Roosters today. And, oh, let's not talk about the Roosters, sorry. Uh, Melbourne Storm, you know, imagine the guys on the side. Yeah, well, it's David and Goliath. We've got big odds on David today. It's, you know, paying 150 bucks. And you get... No, you hear what I'm saying. No one's going to put their money on David. Um, and, uh, and yet he comes out. He just thinks bigger the problem, bigger the success. And, uh, and so what are you prophesying today? To your Goliath? That's the question we're going to ask. You know, what are you proclaiming over the, the challenging situations in your life? Are you complaining about your circumstances? Or are you saying, thank you, God, you're going to work this out for good? You're bigger than the problem. Oh, I 
things are changing in my favor. Everything works together for good because I love you and I'm called according to your purpose. Yeah? So people, situations. And then thirdly, David didn't let even his own feelings prevent him from having a positive outlook. Because, as I said, some people are naturally happy. And you think, oh, no, that's not for me. It's not, it's not me. It's just annoying. Well, it's okay because David wasn't naturally happy either. Because naturally, he was quite a reflective, melancholy kind of person. He had plenty of negative feelings. And again, you can read about them in the Psalms. But the thing is, he just didn't let those feelings remain unchecked. He didn't let those negative feelings get out of hand and direct his life. Because some people let their emotions dictate how they're going to behave. They say, well, I feel bad, so I can't give. I can't serve in church. I can't go to work. I can't forgive that person. I can't love. I can't reach out. That's just the way it is. Why? Because I don't feel like it. Well, I've got to put it to you. You can do better than that. God calls us to better than that. That's letting your feelings have too much sway. Now, we've got to have a chance to process feelings, and David did, because he wrote poems, he wrote psalms, and he wrote about his feelings, and, and, and yet he had something else to say about them that led his attitude. And again, it relates to his relationship with God. David could easily have just given his feelings permission to shut his life down like some people do, never achieving their potential. He could easily have gone down in history as that sensitive, emotional, poet, muso guy who just wrote about, you know, the sad feelings. Oh, you remember David? Yeah, he's that creative guy. Maybe we could even have the Dead Sea Scrolls. Oh, here's some poems from ancient Israel. Just some sad guy. Oh, I've been attacked by a lion, you know. Baby, you got no idea. Bears are scary. Life's tough. And, you know, and that's all. And, and no, no Goliath, no king, no future, just the sad poet who died because of a lion, you know, attacking him or something. And, uh, and, and sadly, that's how some musos go down in history. Two brilliant creative guys, and you listen to the songs, yeah, life sucks, the world's terrible, because they haven't got the Lord who brings answers to the problems. They're just focusing on the problems. But David in the Psalms, when you read every lament about life, every feeling that he expresses that's negative, he processes, he vents, but he always follows it up with a proclamation of praise to God. And I, again, I haven't got time to give you more examples, but you read the Psalms, he'll say, I feel bad about this, but I will praise the Lord. He says, oh, someone's trying to kill me, and yet I have hope in God who will vindicate me and save me. Come on, his optimism shines through. And again, it's, it's an attitude uh, uh, he, he adopted. And so we've just got to think, all right, am I, am I wallowing in the issues or am I winning? Am I whinging or am I saying, I will praise the Lord like David did? Am I, am I overcome by emotion or am I overcoming the situation and my feelings about it with a positive outlook and faith in God? Because it comes down to... Uh, our thought life. As I said, you can't stop the feelings coming. They react. Feelings come. That's life. You've got a, a heartbeat. Yes, still. Therefore, you'll get some feelings. It's just what you're going to do with them. So you can't stop that initial feeling of hurt or upset or anxiety. Or, but then what are you going to do with that? 
Are you going to allow your mind to keep thinking about that person, that problem, that situation, that issue, that feeling? Or are you going to train your mind? And this is a whole you know, subject in itself. But let me finish with one last scripture. And, uh, and this is just talking directly to the power of our thinking and how it helps us with our attitudes. You've heard this perhaps before in Philippians chapter 4, Paul writing, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, to us right here, right now, and he says, fix your thoughts on what is true and honorable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. You can go through every one of those words and then do a checklist and think, well, it's been a while since I've really fixed my thoughts on what is excellent. The message translation is cool. It says, you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things that are true, noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious. The best, not the worst, but beautiful, not the ugly. Things to praise, not things to curse. Wow, that's worth meditating on, isn't it? And praying over and saying, oh, God, help me, train my thoughts. So whether it's people, whether it's circumstances, or whether it's just our own feelings in our own heart, let's learn from David. Keep our heads high in life, yeah? Keep your attitude, looking to God, looking to the future, looking to what God says about the situation with faith and having that positive attitude that he wants us to have. Amen? 